of following after Jesus. Today we're going to see that Jesus did something kind of extraordinary. He went to a wedding. Now that's not extraordinary, right? A lot of people go to a wedding. But when he got to the wedding, <laughs> he turned water into wine. I'm like, why'd he do that? Did Jesus leave heaven and come all the way to earth just to turn water into wine? Was that his plan? Or do you think that there's something more to it? You know, one of the many things I like about Jesus is that he got involved in human affairs. Do you know that? You know, a lot of the things that he did, you've read about it. He went to dinner parties, right? Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Says Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. They had a big dinner party there. He went to feasts, remember the Passover? Went to that. He went fishing with the disciples. He went mountain climbing. We saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration. He did house visitations. And in those visitations, he healed people. And Jesus liked to go on picnics. Matter of fact, he provided the food <laughs> for multitudes of people, thousands. Today we're going to watch Jesus as he goes to a wedding. Now, how many of you that are listening have ever been to a wedding? Oh, that's good. You know what weddings are? They're great celebrations, aren't they? Of course they are. They're celebrations of a man and a woman coming together, vowing to spend the rest of their lives together. You know, the wedding was instituted by God. And he did it for a couple of reasons. I believe, number one, for the preservation of a society. That's for sure. And also, to resemble the relationship between Jesus and his church. Yeah. Because as believers, what are we? The bride of Christ? So let's take a look. We're in John chapter 2. And we're in a series entitled, Let's Meet Jesus Again for the First Time. <laughs> John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, now remember, we talked about these days, day one, after he came out of the wilderness, he was there for 40 days, then he was tempted by the devil, right? Okay. So day one, he came out of the wilderness, he found John and Peter, and said, come on, follow me. Then day two, he went into Galilee, and he found Peter and Nathaniel, and he said, come on, follow me. Now it's day three, okay? So there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, apparently, this was a large wedding. Jesus' mother was invited. She was probably a relative of someone in the wedding party. Jesus was invited and his four disciples, as well as the other guests. I don't know if in the movies they show all 12 disciples coming in, but no, 
He's only got four at this point. He hasn't called everybody else yet. And then, at the wedding, the unthinkable happened. The wine ran out. Now, Mary was probably involved in the wedding. Maybe it was a cousin or a sister-in-law, someone related. So she was involved in the wedding celebration as the shortage of wine became a burden to her. So she must have been connected for this problem to affect her. So in verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Hmm. Now, interestingly, there's no mention of Joseph. Hey, why wasn't Joseph at the wedding? Some believe maybe he died. Maybe he died when Jesus was still young. Two reasons I can think of that Joseph might have died. Number one, Jesus didn't leave home until 18 years after the temple incident when he was 12 years old. Remember when he was 12? The family went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and they're on their way back home, and Jesus was missing. And they went back to look for him, and there he was with all of the leaders, reasoning with them. He was 12 years old. So he went back home, and he didn't leave home until 18 years. That puts him at 30 years old. I believe he was waiting for the siblings to grow up, right, his other brothers and sisters. Secondly, he understands what it's like to grow up in a single-parent home. have a lot of that today. I think Jesus can identify with that, losing his father. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize, sympathize with our frailty. We know that Jesus feels what we feel, that he went through many of the things that we go through. So back to the wedding. Okay, why do they run out of wine? Well, the Venus de Milo never ran out of wine. Did you ever go to the Venus de Milo for a wedding? <laughs> they never ran out of wine. Why did these guys run out of wine? Well, the reason they ran out of wine was, in those days, the couple didn't go on a honeymoon after spending a few hours celebrating the wedding. Today, you get married, you go to the church, you get married, you go to the reception hall, you spend a few hours eating, drinking, dancing, celebrating, and then you take off. In those days, it didn't go that way. The couple would open up their house, and they would have like open house for like about a week. <laughs> it would be a week-long celebration. I'll tell you what, when you got people coming and going in your house for seven days, that'll kill the wine supply if you don't prepare properly. That's a lot of vino. All right. Now, there are commentators that said either Jesus arrived unexpectedly or being invited, his disciples were not expected. That's why they ran out of wine. I'm like, really? I don't think those guys drank that much. The scripture says in verse 2 that both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So that puts that out to pasture. They were all invited. Jesus, you're invited. Bring your friends. Okay. So I only say this to remind you to read carefully. When you read the scriptures, read the scriptures carefully. And also, read what other people say carefully. It's good to read, but think. Don't stop thinking 
when you're reading, even when I'm speaking, think, is what this guy's making sense? Is it really true? Does it line up with scripture? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Okay? Now, for a Jewish feast, wine was essential. The rabbis used to say, without wine, there is no joy. But we've got to understand that back in the East, drunkenness was a disgrace. You know, nowadays, people drink too much. In those days, they saw it as something that you did, but it was very limited. Their wine was also diluted with water, I understand. So, Mary came to Jesus and told him the problem. Son, no more wine. It was really like, son, no more wine. Now, in the translation in verse 4, Jesus' response sounds current, but it's not. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, the term woman seems to be, you know, a little abrupt speaking to his mom. But I want, I want you to know that he used this very same word when he was on the cross. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And she, he was pointing to John, who was the only disciple that was at the cross. And what he was saying is, mother, but he used the word woman. This is now your son. He will take care of you. That was in John 19, 26. And the word woman is an endearing term. It's closer to our English word, ma'am. It's a term of respect. Okay? So, why didn't he call his mother, mother, when he was on the cross? I believe by not calling her mother, he's cutting the apron strings. He's preparing her to lose him and to take on John as her new son. She's going to live with John, and John is going to take her in. So Jesus, in an enduring term, ma'am, but he used the word, it's translated woman in the English. What does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, in spite of how our English translation reads, which conveys the wrong tone, certainly does, I like, I, like, I like Mary. She had complete confidence that Jesus would do something. She did. She really believed that Jesus was going to do something, even though, you know, like she said, it wasn't his time. It wasn't time for him. But he was going to do something anyway. Wow. You know what? Here's a woman that knows her son. What do you think Jesus was going to do, and what do you think Mary said to the servants? Well, his mother said to the servants, <laughs> whatever he says, whatever he says to you, do it. So you know what happened? There were six stone water pots there for the Jewish custom of purification. In other words, for washing up. <laughs> 
and they contain 20 or 30 gallons each. So, six water pods, that's a lot of water. And it was for ceremonial washing before meals. Maybe all the guests already came, and the pots were filled, and they all washed their hands and their feet, and they're getting ready for the meal, and they're celebrating. In verse 7, Jesus said, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. 20 or 30 gallons times 6. That's, that's 120 to 180 gallons of water. Whoa. Picture a gallon of wine, right? It's between 120 and 180 of them. Wow. I like what the King James Bible says. They contain two or three firkins apiece. Oh, a firkin. <laughs> What's a firkin? Well, a firkin is about eight gallons. So the King James is estimating about 144 gallons of water. Okay. And what do the servants do? They fill the jugs to the brim. And why to the brim? Why not just, you know, get close. That's okay, guys. Why to the brim? To be sure that there's nothing else in there. What do you think the servants are thinking? Why are we filling these jars? <laughs> Everybody already washed up. Why are we filling these jars all over again? You know, sometimes we wonder why God has us do the things that we do. You ever feel that way? God has you do something, and you're like, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to go there? Why do I have to help them? <laughs> why do I have to say, you know, it's so easy to just like question God. Well, maybe these servants are like, why are we filling up these jugs? Everybody already came in. We already washed their feet. What, what are we doing that for? But they did it anyway. You know why? Because Mary said, whatever Jesus says, you do it. I said, okay. And they did. <laughs> then in verse 8, Jesus said to them, Now draw out some water and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Probably thinking, oh man, what are we doing with this water? Now we don't know if the water changed to wine in the water pots or when it was on the way to the head waiter or when they poured it out. But to God, it doesn't seem to matter for our understanding. And we get to verse 9. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and he didn't know where it came from. Oh, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. I want you to think about the servants and the special revelation that they received. They knew where the wine came from. You know why? Because they were servants. They were serving the Lord. And they knew something that the others did not know. They knew. See, I think there's a beautiful message in that. That people that serve God have, a, a, I think, a greater sensitivity to God. And we know more and we learn more. Because we're more in tune with God. So to be a servant of God. So what did Jesus say? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, right? Then be a servant. Be a servant of all. 
and you'll be great. Jesus added nobility to servanthood where there never was before. So the, the servants, they brought the water to the head waiter. They knew what happened. And the head waiter called the bridegroom. He took a sip. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and he said to the bridegroom, because, you know, the bridegroom, he's the guy that paid for the wine, right? He said, every man sees, serves the good wine first. You know why? You want to make an impression, right? Here's the good stuff. And then when the people have drunk freely and their taste buds are kind of dull, you know, then he, sees the, he serves the cheap stuff. But you, oh, you kept the good wine until now. Wow. You kept the good wine until now. No one ever did that before. They put out the good stuff in the beginning. People have a couple of glasses. Oh, this is good. Then they bring out the cheap stuff and they can't tell the difference. The taste buds are already dulled. So this guy flipped it. And it's not that he flipped it. He did bring out the good stuff. But you know what Jesus did? The wine that he made was even better than the good stuff. Now, this message is in this series. Let's meet Jesus for the first time again. And we know that many wonderful sermons have been preached about the stony water pots representing man's stony heart and God, how God fills him with his joy. Uh, six being the number of man. And there were six pots, right? So, you know, the empty pot speaks of the soul of man and God fills the pot and turns you into joy. And many wonderful messages have been preached along those lines. But not this message. That's not what this series is about. You know what this series is about? It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. I want to take this incident and I want to ask, what can we learn about Jesus? What can we learn? I'm going to give you three things that we can learn about Jesus. Okay? Number one, he loves the celebration of a wedding. He does. He performed the first wedding with Adam and Eve, didn't he? <laughs> He's not one who steals joy, but he gives joy. You know, a lot of people don't come to God because they think, oh man, he's going to take my joy away. Really? Where they get that? Oh, you know, he won't let me shoot up heroin anymore. Oh, okay. He won't let me drive drunk anymore. Oh, okay. That's good. You know, he won't, he, he doesn't want me to get married five times. Oh, going to steal your joy, huh? <laughs> Those things are joyful? If they only knew. Oh, we know though, don't we? Oh, yes, we do. We know. We thought we had joy until we came to Christ, and then we discovered, wow, I never really had joy until I found Jesus. He's not a joy stealer. He gives joy. Joy is the Bible symbol. I mean, wine is the biblical symbol of joy. Right? You drink wine, you get happy. Biblically, wine signified joy. So Jesus is a joy giver. You know what he didn't say? Oh, I'm sorry, man. If they ran out of wine, they had enough. They got to drive home. Forget it. They had enough. No. 
he made 144 more gallons of wine. <laughs> you know what? If there was 144 people, that's a gallon apiece. Wow. That's a lot of wine. <laughs> now, we know there are some religions and religious people, they forbid joy. You, no, you can't have joy. Joy is not part of the Christian life. You know what Charles Spurgeon said about them? He said, an individual who has no joy had better be an undertaker and bury the dead, for he'll never succeed in influencing the living. <laughs> joy is a part of the Christian life. Okay? Here's the second thing we can learn. Jesus performed this miracle in a private home, almost in secret. Jesus loves the home. He loves your home. We need to love our homes and those who dwell there. Jesus loved the people of that house. He loved that couple that got married. He wanted to spare them the embarrassment of poor hospitality. And that's what would happen. Oh, if they ran out of food, or they ran out of wine, bad rap. The whole town would be talking about them. Oh, man, these guys, they didn't, they, they, cheapskates. They didn't have enough food for us. They ran out of fish tacos. They ran out of wine. Now it's different. Now it's like, oh, man, that's the place to go. <laughs> so that's number two. Jesus loves the home. He loves your home, and he wants you to love your home, and especially those who dwell there. Love them. They're the most important people in your life. And then thirdly, Jesus is sympathetic to those in need. He is. He saved the family, as I said, from embarrassment. And you know what? We are saved from embarrassment when we do as he says. Like the servants did what he says. You know how many crazy and dumb things we would do if we didn't submit to the word of God? Think about before salvation. Did you do any crazy and dumb things? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the list I can make a list. I could write all day long on the crazy and dumb things that I did after salvation. Let me tell you, I did quite a few after salvation too. <laughs> but when you submit to what Christ says, it eliminates those things. It eliminates personal embarrassment. That's something we don't need. We don't need personal embarrassment. We get enough problems. That's why to be a servant of Christ, oh, that's the safest place to be. Because we receive our directives from Him. It's great to go through life knowing who you're listening to. You're listening to the Lord Jesus. You're hearing His word and you're carrying it out in your body. That's a safe place to be. Let me tell you, it's a very safe place to be. So in verse 11, this beginning of his signs 
he did in Cana of Galilee. I like that. The beginning. You know what that means? We're just getting started out of the gate. Oh, that that that's the that's the the starting gun. It's going to get more and it's going to get better. These disciples are in for the journey of a lifetime. They're going to see some things and they're going to hear some things that they'd never ever heard before. But you see, we're a lot like them. We're going to as we follow Christ and stay faithful, we're going to hear some things and see some things that we never did before. But here's the key. You've got to stay faithful. You know, there are, there are people that profess Christ as Savior, but they didn't stay faithful walking with Him, and they miss out on so much. And yet there are many of those, probably many of you. Yes, you profess Christ, and you stay faithful, and you're walking with Him. And you're seeing wonderful things. And you're hearing magnificent things, words of wisdom right from the throne of God that are found in His Word. You're staying with it. Stick with it. So this is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And He manifested His glory. What's His glory? His glory is that reflection of God. He's starting to show. He's starting to show what God is like. And you know, this one instance, you know, he called these guys out of their jobs, out of their careers, away from their families. And after he did this miracle of turning water into wine, you know what the Bible says? And his disciples believed in him. I think that miracle put him over the top. That's like, oh yeah, man, we made the right choice. We're following the right guy. Oh, yes, we are. This is really something. So, why do we have the gospel account of Jesus' life? Why do we have it? You know why we have it? So we would be persuaded to believe. And believing, we would have life in his name. Let me ask you, do you have life in his name? Are you alive in Christ? Do you have the joy of the Lord? It's so beautiful. If not, it's waiting for you. Let's follow Jesus. That's it. Follow Jesus. Just like this is the beginning of miracles, the best is yet to come. And so it will be with you. Follow Christ. The best is yet to come.